Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Got a great show planned for you. We've got a lot of people joining us. we got Ryan Sheldon, our body positive neutrality expert, talking about our body intersections with mental health and COVID. And also Ryan and Shira from Let's Go. They're going to join us again. We're going to be talking about an interesting story. That's why I wanted on the show about catfishing. It's something that um, we're going to be hearing more about during these times, unfortunately. And then also joined by Heather McPherson to talk about the Falwell Liberty University cuckolding pool boy scandal, which grows and grows. So what is cuckolding? What is hot wifing? What are these things? Why does this matter? We're going to talk about it. Let's open the show. Oh, also question of the night as always up on our Loveline IG page. So Bella Thorne, she's an actress. OnlyFans, it is a hosted content site where people can put their own adult uh, material, videos, pictures for a monthly fee. And it's given a lot of people employment. It's a form of sex work. Many have jumped in on the bandwagon, right? Because they're like, I'm at home. Um, I can't use my intellect or my skills in other ways to make uh, my ends meet. I've been laid off, underemployed, whatever it is. My needs have shifted. And so I'm going to use my erotic capital, my erotic skills. I'm here for that. There's no reason why we can't use our sexuality as our employment if we can use our body. Remember, there's so many forms of body labor, whether we're um, cleaning homes or lifting heavy boxes to to deliver them or stocking shelves or picking vegetables or hanging things or doing surgery, all these things or dancing, um, riding a spin bike. These are all forms of body labor. And the sexual form is no more or less legitimate than the other forms, but we get really hung up when it's a sexually based form of body labor. So let's get over that. Uh, for a lot of people, this is their only source of income for a multitude of reasons, or this is just something they like to do. This isn't inherently a bad thing or coming from a bad place. Now, Bella Thorne, who's an actress, I only know the name from her controversies. I, I could not tell you what she's done acting-wise. God bless her. So she started an OnlyFans account. There are a lot of celebrities on there. Um, there's someone from Big Brother, The Bachelor, a lot of other celebrities posting nude videos and all that. Great. Do your thing. Help change the world. Get us more familiar and comfortable with that. So Bella started one. Okay. She... <laughs> Ready for this one? It's complex and it's juicy. So she made $2 million, $2 million after launching her OnlyFans, $2 million from her home videos. Okay. So you would think, wow, 
It's fascinating. She earned that in less than a week. It's a, you know, on the subscription platform. So people are like, okay, well, it gets, it gets more problematic. A lot of sex workers are saying, listen, that was a site that we used. We don't have access to traditional filmmaking like you do, Bella. And you have the kind of money where you could set up your own site. But what you're doing is you're kind of appropriating and misusing this vehicle and taking consumers and money away from us. And I understand where some people are upset about that. A lot of dancers are saying, you know, when these big name actresses like Jennifer Lopez do movies and they make a career career on um, uh, pretending to be a stripper or others use forms of uh, pole dancing and stripping in their videos. Like um, there's a lot of performers that have done that. You know, you're taking a mode of art and career and sexuality that is so shamed and mocked in our culture and you're using it to your benefit, but you're not actually helping change that culture or normalize it or even coming to our defense at times. And so you're just appropriating it. And some sex workers are saying that, like you're taking money and time and access away from us by using this platform. It gets, it gets deeper. So apparently <laughs> there is a deluge and flood of customers who want their money back from this uh, adult site called OnlyFans. Because she's basically pulled one over on everyone. Basically what's happening is you pay a monthly fee to get access to her site. And then the only thing she's posting is stuff that you can get off her IG. And she's asking for even more money to get sent these private things that are unlocked. And so a flood of people just want their money back. They're saying that is a bait and switch. That's not fair. Um, it's a complete scam. And so the whole platform is restructuring itself because of all the money they're giving back. I mean, it's just... I don't know. This is a fascinating, fascinating time. We're seeing interesting impacts on all sorts of things. And I appreciate where people are saying, listen, you have enough money that you can set up your own site. You have enough money where you don't even need to be utilizing um, sex work in this way. Like leave that to those of us that that is our main career and only career. So we'll keep updating you on that one. Switching gears, I wanted to talk about this. A new study from the American Psychological Association points out that children notice race several years before adults generally feel comfortable or willing to talk about it. So basically what they're saying is you have to, you have to talk about race from birth because it's something that you know, kids are going to encounter and you want to give them the confidence, the language, the familiarity uh, from birth. But that's the same thing around a lot of topics, gender, sexuality, you know, kids encounter things sooner these days. And to talk about something isn't to give permission, it's to arm them with the tools to know how to encounter and take care of themselves. And we're trying to end sexual violence, we're trying to end racism, homophobia. So yeah, from an early age, talking about that there are different sexual preferences, different gender expressions, different races, different abilities. Read them books that have different characters, watch, let them watch films, not because A, they themselves might actually be trans or gay and we don't know, but also because they're gonna encounter that in the world and you want them to have a familiarity, a respect to understand that these things exist and that difference doesn't mean bad or wrong. Um, so yeah, the work has to start from a young age. I love studies like this because sometimes parents think mm, they're too young for these things. No, they're not. They're seeing and hearing about it way before you even are comfortable. So get comfortable. It's part of being a parent, having those difficult decisions. Educate yourselves, parents, so you can confidently communicate this information because you're going to model not just based on what you say, but also how you say it how a child should relate to these topics. So work is on y'all's shoulders, do better. All right, coming up next, we got our body positive expert, Ryan Sheldon joining us. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And, oh wait, avoid these signs by telling people they're being recorded. Wait, I just FYI, Skype now has a little thing that says, please tell the people you're recording them. That's amazing. Uh, all right, we're back and we got Ryan Sheldon joining us, our body positive, body neutrality, 
body love expert. What's going on, Ryan? How are you? I'm doing well, just preparing for, you know, my, move, my big move upstairs to my new apartment. How are you doing? Good. It's better than move downstairs. Uh, that's very um, true. I'm doing, I'm doing really well. And it's interesting we're talking about this today because this past couple of days, I've been having a really interesting conversation with myself or an ongoing processing of my relationship to my body and exercise and movement and diet culture and COVID because you know, right now I don't have a lot of the distractions or forms of joy and pleasure that I traditionally have. So I see myself relying upon food and we live in a culture that very much shames uh, eating for fun or emotional eating or eating the self-soothe. And I'm a fan of that. I think you can use food just like you can use sex to change your mood, to feel better because you're bored, because you're sad. What, what messages do you hear and what are your thoughts on using food to cope? I mean, you know, I think... <laughs> how do I really feel is I think it's totally acceptable to use food to cope. I think it's, I, I, it's something that I've been doing for a really long time. However, it's a really gray area because I think that there's a thing of, you know, using food to cope. And then there's a form of like abusing food potentially. And that's a very gray area. Well, and what, what, like, what kind of framework do you use with yourself? Cause you're someone who talks all the time about, um, disordered eating and it's something that's with us often for life, right? Especially because of the culture we live yep. in. So what kind of paradigm or perspective do you use to decide, um, I guess, what kind of relationship you have with food as you have it? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. A very complex question, actually. I think that, uh, like, currently my relationship with food is really good, but there's, I've been experiencing something lately because, you know, we've been, you know, quarantined. I've been quarantining. I've been stuck at home. I try not to have so much food in my house because I'm afraid if I have too much, I'm going to indulge in too much. And then I'm going to revert back to my old ways, but I've been focusing really on. And again, uh, that's for, just for listeners that aren't familiar with your story, because you're, you, most of your um, work around eating is a history of binge eating. Correct. History of binge eating. But I do also want to clarify that, you know, if you have characteristics of one, then you potentially have characteristics of others. So if I was diagnosed a year earlier, I guarantee my diagnosis would have been extremely different. Uh, just to throw it out there. Um, that's why it's really hard to diagnose someone with an eating disorder because they are evolving. And, you know, depending on that time of the month, potentially, or time of the year, you could be in a different one. And also, uh, let's also just acknowledge that, I mean, one of the reasons why I, I love having you on is because you're, you're male identified and it reminds people that men can also have disordered eating, right? But also because right now, um, not to cut you off again, but right now I think people are also sensitive to eating disorder treatment because a lot of treatment providers and therapists don't themselves understand what is a healthy body or healthy relationship to food. And I hear a lot of disordered eating being prescribed as treatment or therapy. Listen, there's at least 10 million men in America that are struggling with an eating disorder. So that number is huge. And you are correct. I think that there's a lot of stigmas, you know, from a doctor's perspective, because I asked my doctor after I was diagnosed with an eating disorder, why did it take him so long to diagnose me? Why didn't he screen me? Why didn't he talk about it? And he said, Ryan, because number one, there's I have a lot of other things that I have to screen for. Uh, number two, you don't look like you have an eating disorder, which oh. is by the way, mind blowing. And number three, you're a guy. And like, I just kind of figured it's just kind of, you're, you know, not to really worry about that with you. Oh. So it's kind of, it's, it's really interesting, but I've been working on this thing where it's called like desensitizing yourself to food. Um, cause I have had such a fear with food my entire life. 
that I was talking to a nutri- my nutritionist, by the way, which I do go to a nutritionist who specializes uh, with people that have struggled with eating disorders. And it's totally acceptable to go to one, by the way. Um, and she was asking me, she's like, well, have you considered eating this for breakfast? And I was like, no, 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 no. And she's like, why? And I said, because that has too many calories. And she brought up this really interesting thing of desensitizing yourself where it's like, maybe you should just have the piece of bread if you want the piece of bread. Um, and don't be afraid of having the piece of bread because what's happening is that I'm restricting myself or I was restricting myself so much that then I was, would lead into a binge episode. Right. Cause we're, we're now starting to look at, yeah, a lot of the binging is response to deprivation. Right. Correct. And it's kind of like a week of trap. So, okay. So are you saying your answer then is like, what's been really helpful for you to, to seek outside support and use a uh, nutrition to help you kind of make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. The, and uh, yeah, I've been, I've also been tracking a lot of what I'm doing. Cause I think that one of the biggest things for me and for a lot of people that have struggled with an eating disorder is to be able to create structure. So now we're having to rethink that. So we're having to recreate structure in such chaotic times. And it's been extremely challenging. I've been speaking to people who are like, I wake up, I take a shower, I brush my teeth. I keep the same routine without leaving the apartment. And I'm like, I don't know. That's really hard for me to do by the way. Um, but yeah, I think it's, thinking of new ways around the food that I'm, you know, that I'm surrounding myself with and also becoming creative with it. Like I won't just think of, I don't just think of food now as like shoving it in my mouth or thinking about it, obsessing about it. I do creative things. Like I'll have like a pizza making night where I'll make pizza and I'll make it an event type of a situation. Oh, I like that because it adds, it adds joy. It adds fun. It reminds you that food can be fun. Correct. Because that's another thing that was, is such a misconception to people is that when I was in the thick of my, you know, my disordered eating or eating disorder, I didn't even enjoy food. I really didn't. Like, how could I possibly enjoy food when I was eating to the point of being physically ill? Yeah. Let's take a quick break. and we come back, I want to talk more about that and also something that exists on the other side of that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and tonight we're sitting down with Ryan Sheldon. Our uh, I love I love how I keep adding to your title because I, every I think, time you say it changes. <laughs> I know because there's so much complexity to it, and there's so much nuance. And I think that the cultural words that we use evolve, right? So it's like it's it was body body positivity, and then it moved very much into a beautiful space of like body neutrality, where we're trying to get away from really even considering our body and detaching it from the impact it might have on how we feel about ourselves that day and our mood. But so before the break, you were talking about, you know, your relationship to food and, you know, adding joy, reminding ourselves that food can be a really powerful part of socialization and celebration. And it terrorizes now for you as someone who was more on the, you know, deprivation and then binge cycle. I work with some clients that are so trapped in toxic gym culture that their food and disordered eating shows up in counting macros and calories and food planning. So speak to that. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. So there's another eating disorder called orthorexia and I don't know too much about that, but that's like where you're eating extremely clean. Like you're counting all your macros, you're doing all of that. And then you're working out excessively, which by the way, gyms are potentially going to start having plaques in them that say, if they ever reopen again, by the way, it, that say, um, if you feel like you're to, like your workout is becoming an obsession or you're working out too much, please contact really? the helpline. So that's okay, in good. the works that's happening. But for my, for my experience, when I used to belong to a gym, which I don't anymore, cause I found it very destructive. I would go to the gym and I would look at people working out around me. And I felt like they were all staring at me cause I was the only non fit person that was at the gym and it just was really overwhelming. So then I bought workout equipment at home. But another thing that people are not realizing is like, 
going to the gym, getting a gym membership is having a privilege. And that's something that a lot of people don't have. Uh, you know, are the number one gym memberships are expensive. Can people fit in the machines? Are they accessible to people? Do people feel safe going to the gyms? Can people fit into workout clothes? So there's a lot of different factors that go into Because let me just jump in and point out that, okay, me, I'm someone who's whatever word you want to use, more traditionally bodied, smaller bodied, whatever it is. I cannot fit between a multitude of cardio pieces of equipment often i believe it like (laughs) it's 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 really unfortunate because it's like that's so i it's it's one of those going to the gym for me was really destructive and i think that a lot of people have that same experience and i've spoken to many people that are in larger bodies and they're just they don't feel comfortable going to the gym and it's like maybe they work out at home but nobody should be judging anybody for like not going to the gym because i think that's the number one thing that people say when you say i want to lose weight people are like go on a diet and go to the gym that is the wrong way to handle any of that right. by the way what if their work schedule because of you know the children they're raising that are right now at home going to school and they're working long hours they might not have the energy they might not have access to a car transportation not everyone lives in an area where there's a gym nearby right a hundred uh, that's and that's just the tip of the iceberg because like i said before then it goes to like do they feel safe going can they yeah. afford to go can they fit into the clothes like etc so so okay so with all of this tied up and pulled in what what are what are you doing because we're recognizing that movement and exercises is, is good for us mentally and physically so what, what, what do you hold yourself accountable to or how do you set goals around that? So when I first started this whole quarantining, I was so sick and tired of seeing people on Instagram and social media being like, I am working out. You need to work out to better yourself so that I, I prided, I pride, I, I don't know the right word for this, but I really focused myself on actually becoming mentally fit, like working out mentally. Now I will say that I started you know, to work out again and get cardio in. And it made me feel better for sure, like mentally better. So I try to hold myself to doing some kind of active thing, whether it's taking the dog for a 30 minute walk or walking outside by myself. Uh, you don't necessarily have to work out on a, a machine, but it's good to just get out there. It really keeps your mind sane. So I really try to get in at least 30 minutes of like some kind of activity just to keep myself clear. Well, and I love the words you're using, activity, movement. It does, when we think about exercise, we think traditionally about like push-ups, jogging. Yeah. And that's why I try to use the word movement. We need to move our bodies. And that can be going for a walk, walking the dog, uh, walking around your home. I and mean, there's such a multitude of ways, dancing. I had um, a friend lovingly remind me, well, not remind me, but I had a friend that was like, hey, you know what I've been doing to get some movement? And I said, what? She said, I've been hula hooping. And I thought, even like these old school things like jump rope, hula hoop that can have fun tied to them are movement and exercise. Just like we were saying, food can have joy related to it. So can exercise and movement. A hundred percent. Like I think that people right now on social media are pushing like, oh, my Peloton just got here or it arrived finally, like in in time for quarantine. I'm like, there's so many other things. Like, honestly, like even opening the windows and like cleaning my apartment is what I consider movement and activity. And like that definitely it's you're getting killing two birds with one stone on that go because you're getting a clean apartment and you're getting to feel good. Yeah. And, you know, being all being home all day, it's mind-boggling at times how many utensils and dishes i go through in preparing one small meal for myself uh, i mean yeah that's i honestly got so fed up with it i actually got paper plates and cups and i was like i'm not i'm done doing dishes right now did you really yeah, and you're also yeah. in the middle of a move so you're you're kind of in a transitional phase and stage 
Which is interesting because we already moved a lot of my stuff and that includes all of the food that's in my apartment. So I went to go to the cabinet yesterday, last night to go get something to like have for a snack and I realized I had no food. And then I was like, should I just order delivery? It was like at 10 o'clock at night. And you know, you can get anything delivered in LA at 10 o'clock at night. I was like, gosh, this is like weird. And then I started having this moment with myself where I was like, I don't need that food. I don't need that food. It's nighttime. And then I ended up, you know, making myself a cup of tea. And it was like, and if I wanted to have the food, though, I would have the food. I just didn't have any food to have. Ryan Sheldon, where can people find you? Uh, on Instagram at Real Ryan Sheldon. I love it. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we got some DMs listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. All right, we're back. Time for some DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world, and we want you to explore it with confidence. All right, this is the long one, y'all, so hang in there with me. Hey, Dr. Chris, I'm struggling with communication, and I'm hoping that maybe you can help. My girlfriend and I have been together for almost two years. We talk about our futures, our families love each other. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading it wrong. <laughs> we talk about our futures, our families love each other, everything is great, except the past. Long story short, we've dated before, about four years ago, and she cheated on me. Now, I trust her when we talked about it and I'm okay with it, but recently she revealed something to me that I had previously thought wasn't true and she was lying to me. When we dated the first time, she ghosted me for a guy, we're lesbians, moved in with him. Turns out I know now that she actually was cheating on me with two different girls and the guy part wasn't a thing. However, when we got together the second time, she was talking to a guy. They never hooked up or anything. That's not really what I'm worried about though. Do I call her out on her inconsistencies or just let it go? Because now I feel like too much time has passed. I like this question. I appreciate the vulnerability in it. A few different ways to look at this. If all's well and you feel safe now and everything's content and you trust each other, then that would imply it's not a trigger point. It's not anything that needs clarifying. And in that respect, it is possible to let it go because there's nothing necessarily to be gained from it. I don't believe in calling things out. I don't believe in confronting people. I do believe in having adult, honest conversations. I do believe in being transparent and sharing with someone how they impact you or concerns or worries you have. So if it falls under that label, you can bring it up. We're allowed to bring up anything at any time. It's okay to say, hey, you know, I was still thinking about something you said last week. I wanted to kind of revisit it and talk about it. Or, hey, I know time has passed, but something has stayed with me. Or something was uh, triggered and I was remi- remember remembering something you said two years ago. And, you know, it really still makes me smile or it kind of still hurts my feelings. And I was surprised to see that. Let's talk about it. You can circle back at any time. There's no rule. There's no magical time of it's too far gone. No, that's not a real thing. If something is psychologically real and present for you, you're allowed to talk about it. Look, time isn't linear, especially when we're talking about mental health and emotions. They don't care about this concept of time or two too long. We have memory. That's what we're really talking about. Memory is associative. Memory doesn't sit in terms of time and place. Memory is always circulating. It's circular. Things are always being brought back up. We're being put into the future via memory and thought. We're sometimes brought back into the past, right? So memory is never about the here and now. Neither are emotions. So if it's just about trying to right a wrong and call them out and you know telling it like it is and confronting someone, let it go. Move on. We've all done things in the past that aren't necessarily who we are now, you know? And if this person's different now, let them be different now. Relate to them to who they are now. Be better in your relationship. Strengthen it. 
But if it's something that's still on your mind and you want to lovingly talk about it or process it, and it's coming from a place of building intimacy and sharing, then bring it up and circle back to it. So it's really all about how charged it is for you. But if you've moved on, move on. If you haven't and there's something to talk about, talk about it. But I want relationships to be able to tolerate that. And I can understand some dis-ease if a storyline you had been told you find out is no longer true and you can lovingly approach it from that perspective. Hey, you know, it turns out that something you told me wasn't really accurate or honest. Can we talk about why you felt the need to, you know, lie or misinterpret something? Because maybe there's something to learn from that. You know, when I work with a, when I work with a couple, where someone's cheated. The work isn't just about the quote unquote cheater. The work is also about the person who is harmed in that, you know, looking at what kind of relationship have we both created that maybe made that make sense to them. Right. And that's not to victim blame. That's to get some clarifying information for the victim. You know, what role might you have had at all? What can you learn from this? How can we both be better? What wasn't working? All systems, anything part of a system is part of the input of that system and is a factor. And we look at those things. So there might be something for you to learn in that where your partner might say, yeah, you know, you weren't the kind of person I could talk to about my struggles. Yes, I shouldn't have cheated. Yes, I shouldn't have lied. And I'm owning that. And also, I now realize that I was scared to be honest with you. And then you can walk away going, oh, I learned something about myself. I I always want to be approachable. I always want to create a safe space where my partner can tell me things that are hard to hear, right? So that might be something you can learn from that. That might not be true, but my point is we can always learn when someone reflects back to us why they did what they did. And it's all about, as you're hearing the language I'm using, it's not blaming. There's no blame needing to be placed at this point. It's just kind of talking about processing what happened. So there it is. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore it with confidence. All right, y'all, coming up next, Ryan and Sheer join us. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we got Ryan and Shira from Let's Go There. And we're going to be talking about a question that came in. And this question was about dating and catfishing. And Shira is going to explain it to us. You know, I love talking about relationship, love and getting advice. Now, what you love is getting free advice. Dr. Chris, please (laughs) invoice her. Hey, you know what? We're all on a budget these days, so I'll take what I can get. Uh, all so, of, all of, so wait, all of these questions that you supposedly get are really Shira's stories, just oh, yes. new names added to them. Uh-huh, for sure. <laughs> so there is a question that caught our attention, uh, and we love to relate it back to what's happening right now. So yeah. this is uh, the question. This person says, this sounds ridiculous. COVID boredom pushed me to do something bad. I catfished someone. I've always had a deep curiosity about what life would be like if I was significantly more physically attractive and dating someone other than my current long-term heading toward marriage partner. Oh, this gets worse and worse by the second. I created a fake profile using a photo of someone my same age, but much more conventionally attractive. And they adopted their traits, all that. So this person met someone. We texted constantly and moved to phone calls. We haven't met up yet despite four months of talking, uh, but we are in love. We talk nearly all day and deep into the night. I've never felt this way about someone, but now I feel sick with guilt. One, I'm definitely emotionally cheating on my long-term partner. Second, I know the person I've been talking to will be heartbroken when they find out I'm not who they thought I was. So what should this person do? They said, how do I extricate myself from this mess? 
Oh, wow. Dr. So this person, this person drops the hand grenade and then wants to just bounce. Um, a few things. Number one, I really want to zero in on the lack of compassion that's in this scenario. I understand that people are bored or lonely or they're wanting distraction or their relationships are lacking certain things. But remember, it's a human being on the other end of this. And somehow in there, it's some of the dark sides of hookup culture or the use of dating apps, which is We'll say things like, oh, we haven't met them, or they're just a hookup, or they're just a trick, or don't take the app seriously. Dear God in heaven, take it seriously. It's a human being's mental health on the other end of this. And I work with so many clients that have so much trauma from the way they've been treated in the world on these apps, and you're just further wounding people. And so I want people to be more compassionate driven in that if you're going on the apps, only go on there if you're actually looking for sex or love. Number two, you're not in love. You've built a false self that you're leading yeah. with. And this other person is relating to this false self. So it's not love. Well, what, is that, what does that say about a person if they're willing to kind of do this catfishing? I mean, for me, it, it, it obviously the red flags. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. Well, it says a few things. It says that they definitely lack empathy and compassion because they're not taking into account how they're impacting this person. This other person yeah. is possibly also falling in love and you've, and you're going to really, really let them down. Number two, I think that this person has some work to do. Are they, what, what's going on in their marriage or their relationship, this soon to be marriage? They need to be working on filling in the gaps of whatever's missing from that, or they need to realize it's not providing what I need and they need to exit that as well. I think exit both situations ASAP, go to therapy and figure out why you've become who you've become. Yeah, because it's unfair to everyone, even to themselves. Like, doesn't this person want to actually find what they're looking for? And they're misrepresenting themselves to every relationship that they're currently in. But is that a fear-based decision? Because it seems like there's something about there's a wall of them allowing people to see who they really are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's a good insight. It is possible that they either have low self-esteem or they have intimacy issues and they don't feel like who they are as they already are is of enough worth and value. And so they're needing to take on these personas of people that they think have more worth and value, but that's not a long-term solution, right? Like that doesn't give you what you think is lacking in the long term. And do they deserve empathy in that sense as well? Mm. I guess. Uh, you know, the way I enter it is I try to afford that to everyone. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, I, I want to try to extend something loving or transformative, but I would definitely start and lead any work I did with this person around, yes, how they're impacting other innocent bystanders. Again, you are listening to Dr. Chris from Loveline, dropping into Let's Go There right now as we answer some of your COVID-related relationship and uh, I guess dysfunctional questions. No, I don't want to shame, but it's kind of, you could say that's a bit dysfunctional to catfish someone, fall in love while you have a long-term partner. That said, uh, is catfishing legal? <laughs> like, what, couldn't you, you know, I don't know, go to jail for catfishing? <laughs> for for uh, fake identification? Yeah, um, you should. That be, should be illegal. <laughs> there would be a long line at the courthouse of people getting charged with that one. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want every person I watch on catfish to get arrested. It's good television. I'm not going to lie to you. Don't take don't take Ryan's fun away, Shira. Yeah, we become like say. cops meets catfish. We were literally just talking about being depressed in a pandemic, and you want to take the only thing that's making me happy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Damn. Maybe you need to find some other things, Ryan. <laughs>
<laughs> but there, you know, the large, the larger message is: look, people are vulnerable. People are lonely. People want to connect. People want to find love. And this person's getting in the way of others doing that and themselves. I want this person to find what they're looking for too. But look, lying and manipulation never works. And if there's one thing that I work with every single patient in my practice on, it's just getting more confident and comfortable in their authentic true self. Mm. Last question. Last question. Yeah, for what? Real. Yeah, go. Yeah. I do want to know: should people be in a relationship during this time? Is that healthy? Oh, yes. Are you asking for who? No, I'm, a, I'm asking the situation because obviously they are in this long term headed oh, yeah. to marriage yeah. and like sh- they shouldn't really be in a relationship. And I think a lot of people are reexamining that in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. I would say go easy on any examination you do on any major part of your life right now, because yeah. we it's all done in the context of a lot of stress around employment, finances, you know, people literally getting murdered in the streets. And so go a little easy is now the best time to, to enter something? It really depends. I mean, most of us are not at our best right now, so you're not necessarily going to be dating, leading, or meeting from your best. So you might want to put that in check. But if you're already in a relationship, yeah, right now is going to force you to kind of rely on other forms of intimacy building because the physicality might not be there for a multitude of reasons. And it's more about just the, the psychological and emotional connecting. But I think some people can pull it off. Um, but you just got to be thoughtful about who you are and what you're going to bring into someone's life right now. Coming up next, we got Heather McPherson, licensed therapist and director of the Sexual Health Alliance. We're going to be talking about the Jerry Falwell Jr. scandal, but not the scandal as much as what came out of it. What is cuckolding? What is hot wifing? What is this stuff? Should we be doing this? Stick around for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And I've got licensed therapist Heather McPherson, who's also the CEO and founder of Sexual Health Alliance, which is both an amazing certification program, but also just a beautiful resource. Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, okay, right now in the headlines, Jerry Falwell Jr., God bless him, uh, was the president of Liberty University. He made headlines because of a situation he was involved in that was speculated that him and his wife would have sexuality, have various people come in and join or watch. So before we unpack that, I saw that you were interviewed for something else. And a, an interesting distinction was made between um, cuckolding, hot wifing, what is this? So just walk us through uh, terminology and perspective. Yeah, so it's, it's such a good question because usually people use it interchangeably, um, but there is some significant difference. So um, an oversimplified present-day description of a cuckold fetish is generally focused on the male, which is often submissive. Um, and it's usually focused on his desire to be humiliated. Um, hot wifing is your wife is typically so hot and so desirable that, um, that they can be pleasured by another person. They can pleasure another person. So cuckolding, um, there's a submissive factor. Usually it's, uh, the, the person, uh, has like a small penis and the, the, the cuck comes in and has a big penis and is able to, um, satisfy satisfy the wife or the partner whenever he was not able to be to satisfy her. Bam. I mean, what I what I just love about just the distinction is it just speaks to all the creative, diverse ways that sexuality and arousal can happen. Right. And tell me your tell me your definition as to how you kind of help people develop a perspective around all the different ways we can be sexual. Because for me, when I hear what you just spoke about, I think, wow, what an interesting way for two people or three people or whoever it is that care about each other and want to just enhance their sexuality, they want to safely explore what what, what great options that this presents to people. 
Yeah, I mean, I usually just try to encourage exploration and curiosity because we can get so caught up in the labels and what that means. However, um, whether it's hot wiping or cuckolding or kinky sex, um, whatever gives you pleasure, brings you joy, you know, helps your relationship strengthen and deepen, um, brings depth to it, I think is a wonderful way to view it and to kind of have that be the goal. Yeah, because, you know, again, I... I, I was labeled as being like anti-monogamy for a while. And my whole perspective is it's not about yay or nay. It's about just looking at the the positives or the deficits of any relational model or commitment, right? Where open, closed, none of them promise health or lack thereof. It's all about, right, the, the way the people within it are functioning, right? Right. So one of the things, though, that I love about this topic is – that monogamy sometimes can stop people's sexual development, relational development. And so um, how would you recommend that an individual who's maybe interested in this present this to their partner? Really good question. So oftentimes whenever someone's ready to bring their partner in on the fantasy per se, they've already done some work in accepting themselves, decreasing the shame so that they can get to the place where they actually can talk about it with their partner. So once they start talking about it with their partner, their partner might be like, whoa, this is a lot. <laughs> like, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. Um, and so they're, they're kind of like, okay, slow down. So I often recommend people to kind of go at that the slower person's pace, um, because it takes a little bit of time. Um, another tip that I often recommend is just to be open and curious about what you're desiring, what you want out of the, the experience, whether it's a specific relationship dynamic or it's a specific fantasy or experience. Just uh, talk and be open about a lot of it and really take your time processing it with each other. Oh, I love that because we're talking about sex and pleasure. It's supposed to be fun, right? It's not mm-hmm. supposed to harm anyone, traumatize anyone. And I jokingly and seriously say sex gets to be like dessert. It's supposed to be fun, pleasure, connection, uh, sociability, whatever it is. It, it shouldn't be something that makes people feel bad. Okay. Here's the other piece. And this is why I wanted you specifically to come on because I think there's some people that could easily say, this sounds like something a man or someone male identified would want. So speak to the female experience or perspective and whether or not females in fact do seek or desire this too. So it's really interesting. Obviously with the hot wifing experience, it's so much more of an empowerment experience for the wife, for the female. It's pretty much focused around that. Um, There is enjoyment uh, seeing that your partner can satisfy maybe more than one man per se, but there's a huge focus on uh, female empowerment and having the wife run the show per se. So I think in cuckolding, it's very similar in the sense that the wife or the female is in charge. <laughs> um, the it's it's interesting because oftentimes you see like the 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 male identified person um, being kind of the submissive in the relationship, and the submissive has a lot of the power. But the other person has a lot of the power too because they're kind of setting up the scene and kind of um, facilitating this process of humiliation or enjoyment or both. Yeah, and I love that. And I also love a lot of the new research that's coming out that's trying to balance out 
what gender is driving the interest in trying an open relationship or viewing porn. Because again, traditionally, it was very much rooted in, oh, that's more of the male side of the spectrum. Someone who's female or female identified wouldn't be interested or open to that. And it's like, that's actually not true. And that's quite unfair. Right. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of the females, I think, I feel like self-identified females will um, bring it to the table. And a lot of the couples that I see, and now I, I kind of see it kind of equal, half and half. Um, oh. But for the last decade, it's been a lot more females than males. Beautiful. Bringing- and your work, I mean, you're, you're multi-city. So you're pulling from a lot of diverse uh, clinical populations when you say yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. So... so- uh, yeah, yeah. So Respark Therapy, it's a group practice and it's in Austin and Denver. And so we see clients throughout Texas and throughout Colorado, which there's a lot of rural areas. So it's a lot of small towns um, throughout Texas and border cities, as well as, you know, Colorado. Colorado is a true swing state. So lots of diverse opinions and people that we get to meet, which is amazing. Yeah. And then with Sexual Health Alliance, traveling the country, training, certifying, that also brings in a lot of other interesting perspectives. Exactly. Yeah. Providing certification programs for healthcare providers to be certified in sex therapy or education um, all over the country. And it's so wonderful when we get on conferences and we can hear people from New York and the people from rural Texas talk about their training and their experience and how they work with clients. Yeah, it's powerful for me because I know I sometimes forget that not everyone lives in Los Angeles or California and that <laughs> a lot of other norms and that I have to or we have to always make sure we're speaking to and accounting for all the diversity that exists. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like as uh, sex therapists, we tend to be a little bit more provocative and radical uh-huh. and progressive. Um, and it's so important to remember that a lot of our clients are not. And so it's really it's really critical for us to have that lens that we can pull from to, depending on what type of client we have in front of us. Bam. And we're definitely going to have you back on the show. But until then, where can people find you or get more information about you and the work you do? Yeah, absolutely. So www.respark.co, C-O, um, or sexualhealthalliance.com. Beautiful. Coming up next, we're going to be doing Question of the Night, which is up on our Loveline IG page. So still some time to weigh in on that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, now time for Question of the Night. Today's question, according to a new survey done by TrueCar, 73% of people now use their cars as private space to get away during the pandemic. 56% say they just get in the car and drive nowhere to zone out. 37% say they'll sit in their cars just to do business calls. Where do you go to escape during quarantine? So that's the question of the night. I love that. I have a lot of people that are doing therapy that way. Um, they're, you know, isolating at home with others and our therapy sessions, they use that as a time to go for a walk and we FaceTime or on the phone or they get in their cars and it's a nice safe space. It's a nice, a nice private space. So for those that have access to a car or own a car or rent a car, whatever it is, you can borrow one, uh, driving around, you can play your music, you can get lost in thought. And it's a way to kind of just have some self care, you know, some time away. Sometimes it's hard to be in such close proximity to so many people. People are going to school at home, working from home, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, take advantage of that. Like we said, you don't even have to drive. Sometimes you just go sit out in the car, play music, put the seat back, nap, rest, read, you know, go for walks, take advantage of whatever you can. But yeah, I see a lot of people doing that as well. I've done it myself. Um, Just trying to change environment, you know, something new and novel. So here we go. What did y'all say where you go? to escape quarantine. First person said, been doing that since 09. Yep, I know. Cars for a lot of people. You'll walk down the street and you'll see people just chilling in their cars, playing music, reading, hanging out, 
you know? We're doing what we gotta do, y'all. Remember back in the days where cars were a lot of the few places some of us had outlets to privacy to do sex stuff? Sorry, there is literally a bug flying around trying to attack me, literally trying to attack me. Okay, question of the night. Where do you go to escape quarantine? Someone else said, definitely taking drives to listen to music is super relaxing. I'm telling you, music, 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 it adds like a landscape, it's a backdrop to our day. It can mirror our mood, it can pull us out into a different mood, help us drop down deeper. It changes how we feel, how we think, it takes us on a journey. So take advantage of that. For some people, again, they don't have access maybe to a car or another room, or they do, and they can fold this in, but even if they don't, sometimes putting on headphones or just blasting music and just laying there and closing your eyes, it's very transport, transport, transporting, I can't conjugate that. And it's like when you go to the movies, a really good movie, you forget that you're in a theater and you're just kind of lost and you're not really existing. You're not aware of yourself or others. You're, you're in the content, right? You're in the experience. You're in the emotion of the film. Music is the same way. So some of us know that. They're like, yeah, I've been doing that forever. Others, this is something new to them, but try it. It can be the way to, it can be a really beautiful way to get away when you can't actually get out of the house or get into the car and drive. So take advantage of that. Look, we're doing, we're, we're making do with what we have, you know? Question is, what do you, I'm sorry, where do you go to escape quarantine? Someone said, honestly, I go in the car to use Grindr and other dating apps so my roommates don't see. Hey, why not? It's your little sex den, you know, a little sexting, a little grindering. I wish your roommates were able to see. Why can't your roommates see? Is it like a sex negative household? I, I want to live in a world where we can publicly be on our grinders and our tinders and just lovingly being like, yeah, hi, I'm an adult. I'm looking for sexuality and relationality. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make me less competent as a partner, a parent, an employee, whatever it is. Like I don't, I, it makes me sad that people have to hide their grinder use as though it implies there's something bad or wrong with you. It's like, yeah, you're a healthy sexual being doing your healthy sexual thing. I'm here for it. Um, I'm proud when I walk by someone, I can see them doing their thing. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> uh, question night. How do you, uh, where do you go to escape quarantine? Someone said, it's nice to take drives through forestry. I'm sorry, foresty or beachy areas. I live in LA, so I used to drive down the PCH and blast music. I love it. PCH is beautiful. The Pacific Coast Highway, it's stunning. The water's just right there, smacking up against the rocks. It's beautiful. You can hear it. You can smell it. Yeah, some people do have access to really beautiful outdoor environments. Take advantage of them, you know, playing that music, doing your thing. It's such a beautiful scape, and you can literally feel your psychology and your nervous system just slowing down. You know, the other thing I recommend is taking off your shoes and finding some bare earth to plant your feet in grass, dirt, sand, rock, whatever it is, let it be natural, natural earth touching your bare feet or your hands. Just stand there, put your hands in it, lay in the lawn, but it's a powerful thing. When's the last time you touched your bare skin, touched bare earth. Some people are like all the time. Others, it's been years. It's an important part of mental health and physical health. Got to talk more about it and we will. Question tonight is, where do you go to escape quarantine? Someone said, I literally love driving. Money's tight right now. Otherwise, I'd escape from my house literally every day. Yeah, I appreciate that. Finances, it's in there, you know, it counts. Um, that is our question tonight. Thank you to those that participated. Um, next, we'll be sliding in the DMs, but question tonight, it's always up on our Loveline IG page in the stories, so weigh in on that. DMs always open. And make sure you're checking out old episodes of Loveline podcasted at wearechannelq.com and my live stream show. I'm listening live, which is every Thursday night on every radio.com handle, Twitter, 
Facebook and YouTube, and also check out my books, Sex Outside the Lines and Rebel Love. Both of them are kind of a deeper dive into all the things I talk about. You know, it's like a little free sex therapy, body positivity, sex positivity. We talk about capitalism and work and relationships and all the different parts of the constellation of mental health. So check it out. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore it with confidence. Here we go. Dear Dr. Chris, is not being a part of this cultural moment a deal breaker? I think it is. And my boyfriend has shown signs of not really caring and not being interested in voting. But my friends tell me to relax and that it shouldn't lead to a breakup. Oh, see, this is the question. This is like the billion zillion dollar Jeff Bezos kind of money question. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a personal thing you have to really sit with. For me, my beliefs are that our politics are tied to our mental health and our ethics. Politics are about whether or not we think that certain people have a right to exist or have rights at all. Black people, people of color, indigenous people, trans people, gay people, women. You know, the current administration is homophobic, sexist, racist, xenophobic, transphobic. It's a hot mess. And to not vote is to say, I don't care about those things. To not vote is to also say, I want to, I'm, that I'm a, really in a powerful position of privilege, most likely white, cis, and hetero, and that I don't care about the impact on others. I don't care about oppression and violence. So for me personally, because of how I move through the world, because of the work I do, because of the kind of world I want to create and be a part of, I don't want to be around people that don't care about others. I don't want to be around people that are racist or transphobic or homophobic. It won't work for me, especially because I have tons of friends that are black, that are female identified, that are trans, that are gay, that are fat bodied, that are all these things that a lot of people don't care about or are okay with not having rights or access to healthcare and whatnot. And so for me, it matters. It says everything about a person. And for someone to say, I don't care, it says even more. So for me personally, I, I don't have those individuals in my life. Um, I provide resources. I'm willing to educate to an extent. Um, but I want around, I want a person to be around people that have done the work, people that have a higher level of ethics and mental health. And so I personally couldn't be in a relationship with that person because to stay silent is to allow it to persist. And so I guess my question to you is, have you talked to him about the impact of not voting? Have you talked to him to understand why he won't put that bare minimum of energy in? Because to vote, all you have to do is register online. It literally takes under five minutes. You can get a ballot mailed to you. It takes under five minutes and you can drop it off or mail it back. You yourself could be willing to take his ballot for him. There's so many ways that this can go. It's So it's kind of, I don't know, it disappoints me that someone isn't willing to take 10 minutes to try to improve the lives of exploited and marginalized communities. You know, So for me, it's gross. Um, but you have to make that decision for yourself. It's not just differing opinions, right? Because an opinion is what is chocolate or ice cream or vanilla better, right? An opinion is something that has nothing to do with the welfare or rights of another person. And the minute the conversation's about the rights, welfare of another person, we're not talking about opinions anymore. We're now talking about violence and oppression. Are you into violence and oppression or are you not, period? And this person might be. And you have to decide if you want that kind of influence around you because this person does influence you. 
they're going to overtly and covertly weigh in on and impact your mental health and your functioning. So to me, I can't allow that or be around that. You have to decide for you. So I'd get more information from him to find out what that's about. Also share with him your thoughts and feelings and how you're impacted by his lack of ethics. Because I think you should change the world from politics to ethics. That's what I try to do. And people then get it. Oh, your ethics are different from mine. It doesn't sound like you really want to be part of the necessary change. Um, and if they're like, yeah, I don't care. It's like, mm, that's hard for me. I don't want to be around that. So we're probably not a match. We're not compatible. I don't want that around me. I don't respect that. I can't, I don't respect that. And that turns me off. So I personally couldn't also have sex with that kind of person. So I won't have sex with racists and transphobes, et cetera. But it's because I hold the bar high for myself. So for you, it's a spiritual question. It's a mental health question. It's an ethical question. So I don't agree with your friends. I think they're giving him a pass. Um, and, you know, again, I think we should be open to educating to an extent if it's your boyfriend, but um, it's a hard decision, but that's my thoughts on it. I know. Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. Loveline is always this podcast at wearechannelq.com. Question night, always up on our Loveline IG page. We'll be back tomorrow night. What is it? Uh, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Hope you all are taking care of yourselves if the day is not done yet. So if you haven't done something that's rooted in self-care, joy and pleasure, and rest, something maybe that incorporates all three, maybe it's three different things, now's the time to do it. And also decide how you can do those three things tomorrow. Why? Because centering those in our day is how we set ourselves up to have the most resilient mental health. And also, if your schedule doesn't allow for those three things, then your schedule is not in the right places. All right, thanks for hanging out, and you all have a beautiful, beautiful night.